Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. Today, we are so excited to be speaking to Ginny Urich. She is the founder and CEO of Thousand Hours Outside, a global movement dedicated to reclaiming childhood, reconnecting families, and living a fuller life. Ginny's latest bestseller is titled, Until the Streetlights Come On, How a Return to Play Brightens Our Present and Prepares Kids for an Uncertain Future. Ginny is also the host and producer of the popular Atlas Media podcast, aptly titled The Thousand Hours Outside Podcast. Ginny's also a social media influencer. She's a keynote speaker. She's a mom. She's here to talk to us today. Hi, Ginny. <laughs> I, I always love those introductions because here's the truth. Actually, there is just like random paper on the floor <laughs> by my foot. And before we started this, I was like, what is making that crinkling sound? And then the, the whole introduction makes it sound much more wonderful than really what's actually going on. We're expecting huge things. Huge. We're definitely not expecting paper. We're expecting absolutely huge things from you, Jenny. Here we go. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be a part of Adelaide. Just love talking to the both of you. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the thousand hours outside. Obviously, before I knew you, I knew of this concept. And I will admit that I am a person, I'm an indoor mouse. I'm definitely not oriented to the outdoors. And I am somewhat intimidated by the outdoors. And I'm a city mouse too. So I think that's part of it. So where does this idea of a thousand hours outside come from? Okay, I'm same. Indoor mouse. Yes, absolutely. They're a little safer, I think. And also, you know, if I could do anything, I like to play the piano, I like to read. That's it. That's what I like to do. So it came from, though, being a flop at a mom. I was like a total flop, but I was expecting to not be a flop. I was expecting to be tremendous. And then, you know, we had our first kid and I was like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can I say that? We've been there. <laughs> say, well, this is awful. He's great. But I was like, I mean, this is just a total mess. I was planning on doing a schedule because some of my friends had done a schedule. And I, <laughs> this is truth be told, I had it like planned out by two hour blocks. I was like, the 8 a.m. time frame is when we're going to read books and then he's going to nurse and nap and I'm going to exercise. Right. Just like the book says, right? Just like the book says. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 10 a.m. You know, I was like, this is when I'm going to prep our meal. I mean, whatever. And then he came and it was like, he never slept. 
And we nothing starts at 8 a.m. It starts at like 3.30 in the morning. Anyway, I derailed from like day one. Even in the hospital, the lactation consultant, I'm like all drugged up. You know, I have a birth plan. The whole thing's typed out. And then here I am like I'm hooked to all these IVs. I, got, I don't even know what it is. I can't even concentrate. This thing is a mess. And the lactation consultant comes in and I'm like cross-eyed. But she said... He, she says, my, he has a voracious appetite. <laughs> I was thinking, like, he's like two hours old. What are you dying? How would you, you know? But it's true. I mean, that kid plumped up. He was like 20 pounds by the time he was four months. He had gone through like every single size of clothes. We had nothing. So all he did was eat. That was it. And cry. Like this is a total mess. I am failing every single day. And I lived that way for a really long time, actually, where I was in a pretty dark place. And it wasn't postpartum depression. It was just, this is really hard. And I used to be kind of successful at life. And I could rein things in and I could fix problems. And all of a sudden I couldn't. There's like there's no answer. And we had a couple kids close in age, but even with just the one, even out of the starting gate, I really struggled with coming to terms with feeling like I'm failing constantly, 24-7. Someone's always crying. No one's happy. I cannot figure this out. And so the outside piece comes in because it changed my life. I was going to all these classes and clubs, and it was too hard. I mean, to get a couple kids to the library program, I love you, the librarians, and we love books. But to get your kids there, I mean, this is a colossal effort. Getting kids in the car seat, strapping them in. They're crying. They have different sized diapers. They eat different snacks. Nobody really wants to go. You got to carry the bag. You got to get out the stroller. It You got to unfold. It's not working because you had to buy it used because you don't have enough money. You already missed the class by the time you get the kid out of the car. Yes. Yes. You get in and they don't want to be there and they're crying and you're trying to nurse, but that one's running away. I mean, yeah. And, and I would feel like it, it was only 1030 in the morning. I mean, I've got, I've got nine hours. <laughs> you failed 96 <laughs> times already, and it's not even lunchtime. So I never could have seen this coming, but you're saying that the thousand hours outside idea came out of, I need something easier than what I'm doing. Well, right. So so what happened was I had a friend at MOPS, which just changed their name to MomCo. And MOPS was another one of those programs where you go and you're supposed to be able to drop your kids off in the nursery. And they, my kids were always crying. They were so clingy. I'm like, why do you like me so much? You know, and they always are bringing my kids back and I'm bouncing crying babies. But I had a friend at MOPS. And I think that sometimes this happens in life where your life changes in a very short instant with one simple change, one simple concept. And my friend at MOPS came in and she was researching homeschooling, but this isn't about homeschooling. This lady, she's from literally the 1800s, but she didn't tell me she was from the 1800s from Britain. And her name is Charlotte Mason. And she was this educational philosopher. And my friend had been reading her works. And she came in and she said, Charlotte Mason says, which Charlotte is a common name. So I did not think this lady is old news. <laughs> Who's listening to her? Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And I thought that was nonsense. For, I mean, who has four to six hours? Nobody is. <laughs> no, sounds like a terrible and idea. And so I was in no, my thanks. mind thinking that's ridiculous. And then she said, would you like to try it? And I was thinking, no, no, of course not. 
<laughs> I'm an indoor mouse. And also, have you been to the library program? It's like 40 minutes of chaos. And you want to do it for four hours. I'm like, what are the kids going to do? But I was very inclined to have friends. And I think in those early years, you're so desperate for relationships. And it's so hard to have them because you're juggling kids and kids get sick. So I agreed to go. And this is the day that changed my life. This was the foundation for 1,000 Hours Outside, though I didn't know it at the time. But back in 2011 in the fall, and we live in Michigan, so Michigan has beautiful falls, sunny, the colors change. We agreed to meet at a park. And this is a park, not a playground. I mean, this is like grass, you know, a little creek, shallow creek bed. And we're going to meet at this park for four hours, nine in the morning till one in the afternoon. And my friend said, don't bring anything but food and a blanket. And I'm thinking we need a lot of other things. We're going to need crafts. We need to make a Ferris wheel, basically. Yeah. iPads for everyone. Right. Yeah. I'm like, what are the kids going to do? But I tell people that it was the best day of my life because it turned out to be the first good day I ever had as a mom. I had not had one. And what happened was the kids played and they played with what nature provided them. And we each had two toddler preschoolers that ran around in this safe, grassy area. They threw rocks in the shallow creek bed. They chased after squirrels. They climbed on things. And we each had a baby that we held and the babies would nurse and sleep. And I got to have a conversation and I got to, for the first time, like let my blood pressure go down and I got to exhale. And I felt like mother nature was like an extra mother, not only for my kids, but also for me. And so it started there. It started in this one instance where I realized maybe I'm going to be able to thrive in these years, instead of just barely survive. And so we immediately changed how we were doing early childhood, took these large chunks of time, inserted them in with a small group of friends, four or five other families. Some would meet, you know, kids get sick, you got a couple other families that are going to come. And in time, I learned that not only is this helping me in my mental state, but it's helping my kids in every facet of their development. When they play outside, simple play, this is helping their cognition, it's helping their social skills, it's helping their physical bodies, and it's helping them emotionally regulate. And it's doing all the same for us at the same time. You make it sound like that it's easier. That's what I'm still stuck on. Like this is easier and better for your kids and maybe even for yourself as a parent, which we are extremely interested in on this podcast. Like do what works for you too, mom, not because it's going to make your eight-year-old, you know, get into an Ivy League college. Do this to make your day easier. The, really, this 1,000 hours outside is about taking a, a deep exhalation and just allowing yourself to wonder what happens next and then do something. So you said weather is, I can't remember what the phrase you used, but like the weather, when the weather permits, tolerable, tolerable, I like that word. And we were just having a conversation. We're both in the Northeast. And so similarly, we're dealing with now, I was just lengthily complaining on the podcast that it's not even fun, bad weather. It's not even snow. It's We're just like low gray sky, kind of cold rain every day. And I do think that part of what is driving my family into warfare against ourselves is that we are too much inside, too much together. What role does weather play, I guess? Are, have you gotten to a point where tolerable weather looks different than it used to? I mean, for us, I know in the pandemic, I would sit outside with friends when it was 30 degrees outside over a fire pit and chat because I was getting out of the house, right? I was just saying to Amy on another 
episode, I feel like I've lost that. Like I've gotten back afraid of the weather again. Yeah, it's a good point. And we're in Michigan, so we get these cold winters. And I totally agree with you. It's like if you've got good snow and it's 30 degrees with some sun, this is phenomenal. But if there's no snow and it's 22 and it's windy, we're shooting for a thousand hours outside because there's some research that talks about three hours a day is ideal for kids to be outside. But obviously that's impractical. It's impractical if it's Arizona and it's August. It's impractical if you are in Canada and it is January 10th. So there's impracticalities there. So we're looking at over the course of a year to try and match nature time with screen time, to try and hit that average, to try and infuse sort of that Charlotte Mason number kind of all together. But I used to wish away the winter. And then I read a book by Linda McGurk called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, which is not true. She says it's not true. It's tongue in cheek. It's just an overarching principle. But the point is, is that when you look at the seasons as what they offer that others don't, there are some really special things. And also, this is our chance to develop grit and resilience and for our kids to develop that too. And there isn't another way for them to really develop that. You have to actually, you go out in the elements and there's a book called The Comfort Crisis and Linda McGurk talks about the same thing. The Comfort Crisis is by Michael Easter, where you talk about how it's those extremes that actually enhance the quality of your life. So if you're constantly in 70 degrees, that's it. You're constantly in that. You don't ever have the high and the low. But if you go out like you did with your friends, it's 30 degrees, you've got the fire, but it's cold, your nose is running a little bit, and then you go inside and you have a little hot chocolate, or you go inside, you warm up in a cozy blanket, your life experience, this goes up. And so there is something to be said about experiencing discomfort in the range of human experiences that it's actually really good for us. And there's another good book. It's called Outdoor Kids in an Indoor World by Stephen Ranella, where he talks about these hardships are really what enable us in the long run to like build relationships, to be interesting. He says we do hard things so we can hang out with the cool people later. And some people like that and some people hate it. <laughs> but the point is, is these hard things, right? Then you have stories to tell instead of just, yeah, you know, I was inside and the air conditioning was great. I mean, it was, it was a good day. <laughs> And nothing ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking to Ginny Urich. She is the founder of the Thousand Hours Outside Movement. And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... 
Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So Ginny, I'm curious about how you had a friend that led you into this idea. Like, let's do this together. And I'm wondering, for somebody who's listening, thinking, okay, I'm going to do this, how crucial is it to have another friend, another family, uh, for there to be another kid there for your kid to play with when you get to the park for four hours? Do you need to have that friend doing it with you? I think so. Can I say that? I think you do. I think that for a lot of reasons, I think for safety, let's start there. It's good to have another a set of adult eyes. So that's if someone falls, you know, someone scrapes their knee, you got a kid that runs fast and you just, you got another adult there. I think for safety, it's a good idea. People want to be invited. And this is hard. This is a hard part of mothering because I've been rejected. I've invited people to do stuff and they've said no. And this is a hard part, just a hard part of life. But the friend makes it safer for everyone. The friend gives you companionship and we desperately need that. And then the friend gives your kids someone to play with. And people ask all the time, like, my kids aren't interested in this. My kids are not either. My kids would rather be inside on video games. Every kid, I think, would almost rather be inside on video games because they're made to be all of the things that our brains want. They're made to be novel. They're made to be fun. They're made to be interactive. We interact online, you having conversations, you connect with other people. So whoever makes the screen things have made them specifically. I mean, we're made to crave stories. Have you seen video games? I mean, it's a whole story, a whole plot, like a whole video, right? So, you know, my kids do not want to go play outside, but if there are friends going, they will go. And I think it's the critical important component. People ask what can I do to get my 12-year-old? Maybe my kids don't want to go out. My 8-year-old, my 15-year-old, I say, you need three Fs. You need food. Make it good. Bring something special that they don't normally get. Food, friends, and a first aid kit. There we go. That's <laughs> I thought it was going to be fun, but it's a first aid kit. <laughs> and it will be fun at the end. <laughs> Yeah. And I like that it we're a scouting family. And so we get a lot of outdoor time and, and some of these skills through scouting, which I like. But I also really like that it is accessible without it being an organized activity. It's not you're not paying someone to do it. You're not. And I think the way that you emphasize that 
And we'll talk a little bit about play and the role of play, because I think that we have been conditioned as we go along. And I think our generation, Amy and I are a little bit generationally before, was raised like play is for kids and play is kind of wasted time. And then real life is real life and school and learning and that play you would do. And that talk a little bit about the way that we now understand the role of play and the value of play. Oh, this is a good question. Play is so important. It's all those things. So I'm going to hit briefly because it's quick, but I'm going to hit briefly on those different benefits. One is cognition. So we tend to think of bookwork as learning, but there is a phenomenal book called Smart Moves by Dr. Carla Hannaford, who is in her 80s. She did not learn to read till she was 10 years old, 10. So if you think about today, that's a fourth grader. If your child is not reading until fourth grade, you have gone through all sorts of interventions. This has been very distressing for you and your child. And she said back when she was a kid, didn't matter at all. She didn't learn to read till she was 10 years old. She has a PhD. Her book is called Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And she has other fantastic books too. But she has a statistic in there. And it says this, elderly people who dance regularly have a 76% less chance of developing dementia. 76% less chance. That is a huge number if you dance. And the point is, and the point of the book is that complex movements enhance the structure, the neural wiring in our brains, and it protects it. And so when you take a step back and you look and see what do children do when they're given time and space, like what you said, Margaret, about this is not organized. They've got a little bit of free freedom here. You know, you're going to go down a, a half a mile hike and they're going to climb on some different things and they're going to learn how to assess risk in small increments. This is enhancing their cognition. And in a world where you can Google anything, in a world where there's artificial intelligence, I want my child to have a fast, adaptable brain rather than know a bunch of random facts. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world where our kids are going to have a lot of jobs. They're going to have to adjust. I didn't, you know, when I was graduating high school, no one said, hey, you know, maybe you'll be a podcaster someday. <laughs> right. It didn't right. exist. And we're sending our kids into that world. They're going to have the, what's the statistic is four jobs within the first decade of adulthood, whereas people used to have a job that lasted a whole generation, their skill set, and maybe it would adjust, but it was their whole generation, then they would retire. But we are sending our kids into, it's called a VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. That's the world we're sending our kids into. <laughs> Sounds like parenthood. <laughs> I'm getting VUCA vibes every day, every day, VUCA vibes. We're in it. And so how do you set a child up for that type of a world? Through play, through their own experiences of boredom, through digging deep and finding what they love and being challenged in that. Instead of what we're doing is we're filling their time well-intentioned. We are filling their time from this activity to tuba, to French horn, to French lessons. I mean, we're filling it to gymnastics. And it feels like the right thing to do. But what kids need in a rapidly changing world is they need less. And this is the pressure off. You do less and you gain more. So we're talking about cognition. We're talking about the vestibular sense, which is the foundation for all the other senses. It's activated when the head is out of an upright position. The head, this is a goal. What, when, what do kids do? I mean, they throw their heads back on the swing and they somersault and they 
cartwheel, all of those things. And this is activating, this is helping their development for school. This is helping all of their, they're digging in the dirt. This is helping for their writing position, their shoulder girdle, their core so that they can sit at a desk. This is learning. So academics, this is helping. Socially, doctor, not doctor, but Kim John Payne wrote Simplicity Parenting, one of my favorite books. He says, the primary predictor of success and happiness in life, which who says statements like this, right? Like I would never, I would never be so bold as to say the primary predictor. But he says the primary predictor of success and happiness in life is our ability to get along with others. Do you learn that at a desk doing a worksheet? No. Do you learn that when you're sitting at your piano lesson? You don't learn it through chat GPT, no. right? You can't, you have to learn that by, by experiencing it. You learn it in those heart. Yeah, you learn it in the sandbox. You learn it when someone's bugging you. And so socially and physically, obviously, we need our physical health. When our kids are outside, this is helping their eyesight. This is helping their lymphatic system drain. And this is protecting them from injury because it's helping with their ligaments. Katie Bowman, who is from Nutritious Movement, she's got some fantastic books. She says osteoporosis is a childhood disease that shows up in adulthood a childhood disease because kids are meant to jump and land. And if you take a step back and watch kids, as soon as they're toddling, they're going to step up on the curb and jump off and land and jump off over and over again. Every impact is strengthening their skeletal system. And as they get older, they go a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And so our kids are teenagers now and they're jumping off the hay bale. They're trying to jump up as high as they can. They call it box jump. They're constantly challenging their bodies. And this will last. This is not just for babies. Like you brought that up, Margaret. Play is for kids. No, play is for all of us. Play is for adults. This is enhancing our brains. This is enhancing the quality of our life. And this is what we need for a rapidly changing world. And I think something I want to underline about it too, because I remember having kind of an aha moment on the podcast about this, is that our children spend so little time outside of very direct supervision by adults. So the ability, you know, that if you're in organized gymnastics, organized soccer, even nowadays, honestly, at a playground, I remember I had some a very wild child and everything she tried to do, a mom would come, oh, do you see her? This doesn't seem safe. And not to bust on my fellow moms, like they were trying to keep her safe. But the ability to... I mean, we used to play baseball in the yard with our neighbors, and it's like, okay, you figure out the rules. I think that's out. You don't. We have to figure things out together. And there's something about outside. It lets you be out working stuff out for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that example that you gave of pickup games of sports right. because – in pickup games of sports, there's hardly ever any injuries. Because to your point, you have to negotiate all of those rules. And we had the same thing growing up. It was like this ragtag baseball field in our neighborhood. And sometimes nine kids show up and sometimes four kids show up. And you have to spend a lot of time negotiating the rules. This person's all-time pitcher, whatever it is that you're doing. And so when that happens, and you usually have a mixed age group, you know, the nine-year-old is not going to slam into the four-year-old because if that happens, the four-year-old's going to go home and guess what? All the work that those kids put into coming up with the rules for the day is out the window and they're back to square one. And there is a phenomenal book by Dr. Peter Gray called Free to Learn. 
And he's written some other books too. But he talks about how at age four, at age four is when it used to be. Now he's older now. So I'm not quite sure what decade this was, but four was the age when you could go to the corner store, when you'd get sent off, you know, you'd be given some directions, you'd practice it. And he said four-year-olds used to have more freedom than 12-year-olds do today. So there's a lot of great information from him and from Lenore Skenazy in the book, Free Range Kids. I talked to this woman who is a leading expert on generational change. Her name is Dr. Jean Twangy, and she's a professor. She's got a phenomenal book called iGen and other good books, but she's a a professor out in California. And she said, and this is the key, this is the key. She said, kids are coming to college now and they can't even make simple decisions without texting their parents. That's what we're creating. And by constantly being the ones that are stepping in and directing, kids do not have practice making their own decisions and finding out what happens. It's good that kids fall because they learn what their bodies can and can't do. And that's the skin heals and we get little bumps and bruises and scrapes and bloody knees. I mean, the knees are supposed to kind of look like that because the body is learning how to assess risk. We can't always be the ones that are assessing risk for our kids because they grow and they leave and they have other opportunities. So all of that time where the adult is not constantly, you can be on the periphery. If you're nervous, you know, take it step by step. I think this is a slow passing of the baton because this is hard. It is hard to trust our kids. And so it's meant to be this slow passing off of stepping back a little bit and seeing that they can handle it. And they're learning that they can handle it. And slowly but surely, you're sort of moving away with that a little bit. I think that's the part of this that can be hard for parents. So let's take a break. We'll talk more about that when we get back. We're talking to Ginny Urich. She's the founder of Thousand Hours Outside. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Ginny, I wanted to talk about the first aid kit, right? With You need friends, you need food, you need a first aid kit to undergo this adventure with your kids. And I think what you were just saying about like knees are supposed to be skinned. I do think that we do need to unlearn that as parents, some of us more than others maybe, right? Like it's okay if they climb the tree, if they fall, they might even, you know, break their wrist. They're not going to die. And so you have to let your kids take risks that feel safe to you and maybe risks that maybe don't feel entirely safe to you, but they are. How do you start to like broaden that if you're a mom who like is, ooh, don't get on the slide backwards, you might hurt yourself. Ooh, don't do this, you might hurt yourself. How do you start to unlearn that? Okay, with math, but nobody likes math. So let me talk about it a little bit. There is a, an adventure photographer. His name is Jimmy Chin. He's famous, this adventure photographer, which is an interesting career. What he's doing, and he has a, a really cool masterclass where he is you know, like skiing down the mountain and getting the photo, and he does this whole masterclass about it. And in the masterclass, he talks about that there is a calculation for risk. Risk actually is a calculation, and it's a calculation of two things. It is a sort of simultaneous assessment of how dangerous is this, right? Like, you know, could I die or that type of thing? Or is it not dangerous at all? In addition to how likely is it to happen? And so I think as parents and kids, we are learning throughout our life how to assess risk. So for example, we would never let our small child play unattended near a body of water, near a busy road, because how dangerous is that? Catastrophically. And how likely is something to happen? Very. You've got your two-year-old, they've got a ball, you're by a busy road. No, that's way too risky. But if you're in the middle of the woods and your two-year-old wants to crawl up onto a fallen log, how dangerous is that? It's not. It is not dangerous. How likely is something to happen? Very. They are going to slip off and they are going to cry and they're going to have a bruise and you're going to have to hold them for five minutes until they calm down. And it's a thing. But if it's one of those things that's not a catastrophic situation, that's where we're starting to learn to step back. So we're talking about how can a kid climb in a tree? I mean, we've got to, sometimes we're stepping in because how dangerous is it? It's catastrophic. They're up on the roof. You know, okay, no, right? If they can't swim well, no, you're not going out in Lake Michigan or, or whatever the situation is, you're wearing your life jacket. But when it's a situation where it's not very dangerous, and I think this is where we're stepping in, Amy, like to your point, we're stepping in too often where it's not catastrophically dangerous, but it's very likely to happen. Right. Very likely not catastrophic is the danger zone. Exactly. And that's where they learn how to handle their bodies in those situations. And I think it's helpful. And I think this is something else I've learned by talking to people. Giving voice to that can be very helpful for us as anxious moms. We have a little bit of woods in the back of our house and there's a fallen log over a hole that is probably, I'm going to say 12 feet deep. It's, it's, you would get hurt falling into this hole. My kids, since they were little, like to crawl first and now they walk across the hole. So it's a little bit in that mid area. Like, could they break their arm falling in? They certainly could. But I, in dealing with the worry of it, found that, like, let's 
give voice to it. Like what could happen? Let's think about it. And then for years, the big thing is also I would let my kids do it, but nobody else's kids. Cause I'm like, I don't want to call the mom and find out. But I do now, sometimes when people come over, I will say, listen, the kids, my kids are older. They're in the backyard by themselves. There are some woods here. I'm not out with them. If that makes you uncomfortable, I just want to give you the picture, but I'm actually not supervising the kids in the woods. They're out playing. And I mean, woods, I can see them from my kitchen window. It's like, fallen trees, basically. But I think giving voice to it for ourselves and to each other, it, it helps process that horrible feeling of like, something terrible could happen. It feels much more scary if you don't say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And I think I love that, Margaret. And I also think just realizing how things used to be helps us I think to alleviate some of those fears too. So when I learned from Peter Gray that age four, he was walking, he he tells the story that he would walk to the store and it was across a busy road to get cigarettes for his grandma. <laughs> yep, that tracks, that tracks. But he talks about in his book, Free to Learn, in the 80s. So this is a while ago. The 80s are a while ago, but it's not that long ago. We were there. Margaret and I were there. <laughs> Yes. Dr. Peter Gray allowed his son to go to Europe by himself as a diabetic. His son really wanted to go to Europe. His son was super into work. I don't know, some cards and he wanted to see the places. And he said, I'm going to work and make the money. I am going to figure out the plane. All I need you to do is drop me off at the airport. Dr. Peter Gray in the 80s let his son go to Europe by himself for two weeks. And he was 13. Yeah. There's nowhere to track location. That's insane. That's insane by today's standards, right? Because there would be no way to be in touch with them. So then sometimes I'm like, okay, I can back off a little bit. Yeah. My dad was born in the 30s and he talks about he grew up in the Bronx. Uh, sorry, let me, that's my mom. He grew up in Brooklyn. But the, he talks about the kids would walk around the streets of Brooklyn and then you would go to the corner and you would hold up your hand. And then if there was an adult there, you would say, cross me. And the adult, whatever stranger was there, would hold your hand and walk you across the street. And he'd be like, cross a mister, cross me. Because he was like a little tough Brooklyn kid. And like these little like cute you know, little rascally kids just walking around and be like, hey, cross me, mister. Like, we just always laugh about it. But there's something, another thing that I think that you point out that is so valuable about this that we haven't talked about is connection and community. Like the way that being outside and being with other people, it teaches your kid like, hey, you can trust your mom, but you can also trust Ginny who's here with the other kids and she can help you. And if you're out in the world, similarly, I went, overseas when I was 13 on an exchange. Our neighbor was French and my mom put me on a plane, got there. The family wasn't there to pick me up. I didn't speak French. And guess what? We all figured it out. Like we didn't have cell phones. This was the 80s people. It gives you not only a sense of confidence, but I think we've so lost the sense of like other people are there to help you. Other people are part of your community. And there's something you talk about it in terms of like bonding with the family. I think just bonding with the world is so important for our kids. I think we teach our kids unknowingly the world is very dangerous and everyone is very suspect and like we must stay to ourselves and there's just something so simple about like you have to ask a stranger to cross you across the street that breaks that down so beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you're outside, I think you're all doing the same thing. So if you're outside on a little trail or you're outside, you're in the Bronx or you're in Brooklyn and you're at the playground that's up the road, 
you interact with more people. You do, and you smile, and you wave, and people are outdoors. They tend to be in good moods. If you're walking your neighborhood, my parents walk their neighborhood, and they have so many neighbors that they know and love. And Mike Lanza, who wrote a book called Playborhood, which is such a great name, bringing play back to the neighborhood, he says, this is how you start to alleviate those fears, like what you're saying, Margaret, right? Because then you know your neighbors and your kids start to know their neighbors and they know this one. My kids know like that one has a couple dogs and those have, they have a couple kids over there and, and you start to know. And, and so it, it does. It paints the world as a, safe, a safer place because there's more people that you know, more people in your corner. So Ginny, tell us how old your kids are now, as opposed to when you began this process. And do they buy in now? Are they like, oh, this is this thing we have to do? Or has it really changed how they perceive the world? Well, I love this question, Amy, because here's the thing. Parenting is a mess, right? This is what you guys talk about. This is a mess. And it's constantly changing. So you have like nailed potty training, right? And then you're like, it's over. Like that's useless information. You have nailed learning how to read. You have learned kindergarten readiness and you have nailed it. And then it's over. You know, we just, we have a couple kids, even if you have a lot of kids, there's a finite amount of times where these things that you learn as a parent, you get to use. And then you're like, oh, I'm onto something new. It's a constant, right? A constant new stage. So we started and I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old and a baby. And my kids are now 15, 14, 12, 10, and 7. And this approach still works. It still works. It is a mainstay. And I will say it has even gotten so much more fun. So at the beginning, what's happening is my kids are clingy. So I'm holding all of them, all three, one's on the back, one's here, and I'm using my elbow to push the double stroller that has all of our stuff in it, right? Like this, this is how it started. And now I'm chasing after them. They're climbing the waterfalls. They're jumping off of the black rocks into Lake Superior up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. We're going to hunt for uperlites, which are like rocks that are along the shores of Lake Superior that if you shine a black light on them, once it's past 10 o'clock, they glow purple and orange. I mean, we are doing. We're whitewater rafting down in West Virginia because our youngest is old enough. You got to be six. We're going to go. I went with my daughter this past year to Moab, Utah with Moab Adventure Center. And we got invited out and we got to do this five-day rafting trip down the Green River in Desolation Canyon. And every night we set up a tent and we one night we slept under the stars. I mean, this is fun. And what's happened is I have kids that are comfortable with adventure. And they're ready to go. And we're going to go do these things. And they have become more capable than me. And so now I'm the one. It's almost, it's, you know, you think about it. It's not true. Like they're not carrying me, but in a way they are. And so this will continue. And what I hope is that into their 20s, and I hear people talk about it, this is how we bond. This is how we have memories. Is what a cool thing that we can help our kids cognitively with their social skills. We can help them emotionally. We can help their physical bodies. But at the same time, we are creating these foundational pillars of memories that tie us together forever. Amazing. Ginny, tell us about the Thousand Hours Outside podcast and who you talk to, what you talk about, and what's going on on the podcast, Ginny. Oh, the podcast is so fun. I had no idea how much I would love it. I like to read. Well, I'm an indoor mouse. We started there, right? So I like to read. And part of the reason I like to read is because this is hard. We are living in a world that is steeped with technology, and it is enticing for me 
and it is enticing for my children. And so I need girded with strength and reminders to stay the course. This is a tall order. We talk about the 80s, talk about the 70s. You know, when I was growing up, cartoons were only on Saturday mornings. Society was built in a way that protected childhood. Maybe not even on purpose, but it did. There was guardrails there that didn't involve the parent saying no. Society said no. There was only a certain amount of programming. You only had one TV in your house. You didn't have a TV in your pocket. So I read a lot because I need that reminder to stay the course. I need that strength. And so then all these authors come on. <laughs> they come, they say yes. And I think I cannot even believe that this book, Simplicity Parenting, that completely changed my life. Kim John Payne, he's been on our podcast four times. So we t- I'm talking to people about, we're talking about youth sports culture. We're talking to people like Stephen Ranella, who wrote that book, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World. We're talking about all sorts of stuff. We're talking about the financial part of it because this can be fairly cheap. I mean, this can change your budget. So all sorts of things. These authors are so gracious about coming on. And there have been a lot of things that have really changed my life. I talked to this author, Annabelle Abs. She has a book called 52 Ways to Walk and how if you breathe through your nose, it's like all this nitric oxide and it, your immune system. And if you hum while you walk, it changes. I mean, if you walk backward, take four minutes of your walk and walk backwards and uses all these different muscles in your brain. I mean, phenomenal. Like I said, that Dr. Carla Hannaford didn't learn to read till she was 10. John Muir Laws, he is a a person who's like a, a guru at nature journaling and he's dyslexic and he talks to all of the dyslexic kids. Your child is struggling. You want to listen to what he says because he says this is a superpower and it is. So it's been the coolest thing ever. So we got, I don't know, 240 episodes, lots to listen to. You go back in time because they're all good. Awesome. Well, we will link to the podcast. We will link to your site. We will link to basically everything, Ginny, because I know after this conversation, our audience is going to want to hear more from you. Ginny, you are like a human joy machine. Thank you for coming and talking to us today. This was awesome. Thanks, Ginny. What an honor to be here. I love it. Thanks to everyone who listened. Love this podcast and so thrilled to be here. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.